0: Interesting encounter after interesting encounter in John. Jesus uh, now meets uh, another interesting person, and very interesting situation. This is God's holy and infallible word. John 5, verse 1. Sometime later, so this was after the second miracle that we looked at last week, the second miracle in John, Jesus healing the official's son at a distance sometime later jesus went up to jerusalem for a feast of the jews now there is in jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in aramaic is called bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind the lame the paralyzed one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? kind of a question is that, huh? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, Saturday, the Jewish Sunday in the Old Testament. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, Well, the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. That is God's word for us this morning. A lot of times I have the outline on the screen so you can follow along easier. I'm not doing that this morning just because... It's a very simple, straightforward movement that we're going to do that I think if I tell you now, I'll give you the math, it's sin, salvation, service, which might sound familiar to you. Another way to put it is guilt, grace, gratitude, misery, deliverance, obedience, or holy living. What it is is the outline of the Book of Romans, which the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism, one of our great confessions, picked up and outlined the summary of the faith that way. It's the outline of the book of Romans, though. That's what we're going to move through in a certain way this morning. How Jesus makes us well. Jesus heals a lame man in our text. It's the third miracle that John records in his gospel. Most of the time, for most people, being sick or being unwell is a temporary matter. Most of the time you go down for a bit and then you get back on your two feet and and go about life normally. Early Thursday morning, in the middle of working on this passage and this sermon, providentially, I sprained my ankle very badly playing basketball. I play once or twice a week with a number of guys at the Westmont um, Health Club, whatever it's called, my foot came down on someone else, and the ankle rolled, and that's something I'm very aware I mean, it could happen any time you play basketball. I haven't had it happen in years and years, but you see it happen, you're like, that could just as well have been me. It can happen so easily. It hurt really, really bad. We had the right numbers for full court. It was four on four, um, and they're like, you can still do it, and I was like, I don't know if I can. It hurt it, was pretty, it hurt really bad, but I tried because I didn't want to let him down. It was only five minutes into the game, and uh, it, was, it was not good. I hobbled up and down the court a couple of times. Um, I got one rebound just standing there, and I went up to put it in, and these guys are competitive. They swatted it away, and I couldn't even walk. <laughs> and, after, and then they kind of landed on that foot again, and I was like, you know what, I'm really sorry, but I got to go. <laughs> And I drove home. I feel like I almost passed out on the way because it was so much pain. It was my right ankle. But as bad as it hurt at first and as bad as it continues to be a pain to deal with, it's already healing. And the Lord willing, unless something odd, drastic is wrong, but the Lord willing, in a number of weeks, a couple of months, I'm not even going to be thinking about this anymore. As much trouble as it will give me for a while... This is a pretty minor health issue. But when you have a disability or a severe health problem, it's a lot different. Your health situation or your lack of it, that becomes an everyday thing that you've got to deal with. There are problems that stay with you all the time. That any number of our brothers and sisters in our church sitting around you experience, and it's very hard to enter into unless you've experienced it yourself. If it's whether it's cancer or a disability or any other serious illness or problem, even when things are going well for you, that health issue is always there. A lot of times it might be in the back of your mind, it could be in the middle of your mind, it could be in the front of your mind, but it's always, always there and it can be, and it is a tremendous burden and and Satan can use that to cause anxiety. The people in our text were burdened by major health problems and disabilities and they had to deal with it without the health care advances that we're so blessed to have today. It's really a very third-world picture that John gives us. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. They're at this pool called Bethesda. The pool was near the Sheep Gate. There were about ten city gates in Jerusalem. This one was on the north end of the city. The area was surrounded by five columns. That's the five colonnades we read about. And they supported a covering, and that was to protect the people from the intense Middle Eastern sun. And we read here, a great number of people used to lie. John says used to lie because his gospel was written in the late first century. And his audience, the first people who got this, would not even have known about the Sheep Gate and the pool and the disabled people because Jerusalem was ransacked by the Romans in 70, A.D. Why were they hanging out there? Why did they lie there in particular? Well, there was something about this pool. In verse 7, the disabled man talks about the water being stirred. The missing verse 4 fills that in for us. Did, did you guys catch there's no verse 4? I don't know if we don't often look at the numbers while we read, but it goes. if you look in your Bibles, it goes from 3 to 5. It's not there, and it's not there in our, our translation, the NIV or most other translations, because the most reliable Bible manuscripts don't have it. Though when they set up the verses in the Bible... Centuries ago, it was included. In that verse, we get a little more information. It talks about the disabled people going to the water to get healed when an angel stirred the waters. This isn't in the Bible anymore because we think the idea of an angel wasn't actually what happened, but a description of what people thought was happening. And maybe it was superstitious. Not that an angel couldn't have done that, but. It seems like it was more superstition of the people. In fact, what Bethesda probably was was some sort of a hot spring, uh, the kind that people today even visit for therapeutic reasons. A lot of times, those sorts of phenomena are found by tectonic plates on Earth, right? Along with sometimes volcanoes, earthquakes. And there is indeed a tectonic plate that runs right through Israel, right down the Jordan River. That's what created the Jordan River Valley, and it goes down to the Red Sea. And we believe God may very well have used that tectonic plate in any number of the miracles of nature we read about in Scripture, you know, earthquakes um, and so forth. He could very well have used that natural phenomenon that was there. John uses a lot of symbolism in his book, He uses physical realities to point to spiritual realities. We've seen that already. And most people think this scene is a picture of all of us without Jesus. We're spiritually disabled, so to speak. We're spiritually impotent. We're helpless. We're wounded. We're sick. Romans 5, 6 says, While we were powerless, Christ came. Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. And and that helps explain this very strange question. Jesus says to the man, Do you want to get well? So here's someone who can't walk, and Jesus has to ask this. Jesus can read our thoughts. And he asks this. I mean, we who can't do that, if we're standing in front of someone who can't walk, We could be quite sure that they would want to be well and walk. Jesus asks this to draw something out to make a point to this man and to make a point to you and to me today. The man responds in verse 7. He doesn't say yes, but the yes is implied. And then he says, I've got no one to bring me to the pool when the water is stirred. So do you get it now? Do you see his point? Here is Jesus standing in front of him. Jesus, the great physician. He has been healing. The Word is out there. He's the Son of God. He's the Word become flesh. And this guy is still focused on that pool. He's looking to the pool and not to Christ. This is a picture of what John told us back in chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That remains the situation. We're lost. We're powerless to save ourselves, people in 2013, as well as people in 30 AD. And yet, we pass by the only one who can save us. There are all sorts of pools people look to for healing. And Jesus is not even on our radar. People look to the ritualisms of religions like Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism. People look to their own efforts. They depend on the philosophies of man. They look to science or their own intelligence and miss Jesus. Jesus goes unnoticed. May that not be the case for anybody here today. So Jesus comes in this situation, and in a dramatic way, he reveals himself. His word is spoken, and he brings immediate healing. Then the bad guys come in, the Jews. John always says the Jews to refer to the religious leaders of the day, and they point out that Jesus did this on the Sabbath, and they say the law forbids you to carry your mat. So they completely miss the miracle. Plus, they're lying. They're sort of lying. You look back in the Old Testament, and you'll never find that the fourth commandment, keeping the Sabbath day holy, means you can't carry your mat. They were referring to law, but not the law of God. They were referring to the 30, fully 39 extra laws that they made about the Sabbath. They were legalists, and that's what legalists do. They create extra laws, extra hoops for people to go through. The last of these 39 made-up laws said, you may not carry something from one place to the other on the Sabbath. So that's what they used to say he couldn't carry the mat. They put their hope and assurance, these leaders, in keeping these laws, and they forced other people to do that too. Along with all the other people in Jerusalem, this man had been living under this cloud and oppression of legalism, we read, for 38 years. And look where it got the poor guy absolutely nowhere. Jesus comes in and he shows us a better way. He brings salvation through his word by sovereign grace. And he tells us today, that is how we are healed from our spiritual infirmities. Not through anything we could do, but through his voice comes salvation. Spiritual healing from sin. Is there anything unique or special about this man among all the disabled? Not that we can tell. And I think that's why we don't even get his name. But Jesus does what he always does for lost sinners. Though undeserving, none of us is more deserving than the other, he plucks us out of our sin through the power of his word. Though he's not even on our radar, he zeroes in on us, his children. Why does John say 38 years? Well, I, I, I don't think there's a mistake, in and I think it's for a reason. 38 years is exactly how long the people of Israel in the Old Testament wandered wandered in the wilderness after Mount Sinai. We always round it up to 40 years because it's close to 40 years, but Deuteronomy 2.14 says it was 38 years. And so he's a picture of all of us wandering, lost in sin. He's a picture of you and of me too without Jesus. After those 38 years of desert wanderings, as we move through the Old Testament, we read that God would bring his people into Canaan, what he called the promised land, a place to live in the salvation and blessing of the Lord, a place to shine God's light to each other and out from God's people to the nations. But the people got in and rejected the word of the Lord. Though they were taken out of the wilderness, it's like they willingly went back in to the wilderness and wandering and lostness. And in, in John's day that we read today, they're still living in the wilderness. Wilderness, lostness of legalism, of choosing their own path, missing the love and the grace of God. Jesus enters into this situation to live. He would go to the cross to die and then rise again to show the power of his salvation and his electing love and that he is the answer. Why are we told this all happened by the sheep gate? You might be able to guess why it was called the Sheep Gate if you know a little bit about the history of Israel. Well, this was the gate where all the sacrificial animals came through to go to the temple. And the sheep or the lamb, that was the main sacrifice that the people made for sin. And here we've got, standing by the Sheep Gate, Jesus, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist called him in chapter 2. The once and for all sacrifice so we would be saved, so we'd no longer be spiritually lost, so we'd be healed and no longer disabled spiritually. Where are you at this morning? Are you looking to a pool? Are you looking to Jesus who stands in our midst? Are you looking to laws and regulations or other man-made solutions to your problems? Or are you looking, first of all, to the free grace of God through the word of Jesus Christ? Are you depending on made-up solutions to our spiritual problem or the real solution, Jesus, who comes to us with sovereign grace Plucking each one of us out of our lostness with the power of his word. It's interesting that when they ask this guy who healed him, he doesn't know. Why doesn't he know? Well, he's just a baby in the faith, he was just saved. He knows virtually nothing about Jesus, and yet he's saved. And you know, it's not about how much knowledge you have. It's about the grace of God in Jesus who loves you and me, sinners. He did know enough, verse 11, that when he's confronted, when he's criticized by these leaders about the healing on the Sabbath, he says, the man who made me well said to me, pick up this mat and walk in. And some people say this guy is throwing Jesus in front of the bus by saying, hey, it's not my fault, it's his fault. I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's doing what saved people are called to do. We hide behind Christ when we're criticized. He fell back on the word of God, what Jesus said. And that should always be our protection and our answer to criticism. Have your life hidden in Jesus. Let God's word be your answer. Do you see the picture of the power of jesus to save and to heal he does that in your life too and when he does it it's all about him it's all about him there's a little boy who was once asked my son have you have you found jesus this was maybe 50 years ago my son my boy, have you found Jesus? This insightful little guy looked up and said, why, why, sir, I didn't know Jesus was lost. But I was lost and he found me. And you see how that's the right emphasis on him and his grace when we talk about salvation and not us. We're blind, we're lame, we're paralyzed until Jesus comes into the picture. And the cross tells us that he has. And we're called to turn to him, look to him, depend on him, and listen to his word. And we've got these last verses where Jesus says something kind of harsh, stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Legalists like those in our text would make people live under a cloud of constant guilt. And what they would do is they'd point to all those disabled people by the pool, and they'd say, see, God is punishing those people for something they did. Sometimes that can happen even today. People of God who point fingers, or when they're suffering, they look to blame. They look for blame, like someone's got to be at fault. Well, we hear about a disaster in Jesus' day, it's in Luke 13, and 18 people were killed from a tower collapse. The people of that day, all living under this cloud of legalism, were wondering, was this because those 18 people were especially bad sinners and so God got them? Living under that cloud, that's how they looked at this event. But Jesus says, no, that's not the way to look at this. He says, suffering happens and happens so that we all might search our hearts and repent. Suffering happens to the just and the unjust. It's not about who's a worse sinner or not. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. We all need to turn to the Lord. And yes, there are concrete results to our sins sometimes in life. And Jesus may be getting at that. But I think what Jesus is especially showing us and showing him is the next step for this man. After being saved from our sin, we're called to live lives of obedience. The man responded obediently originally When he heard Jesus' word, pick up your mat. And he he did it. He obeyed. And now Jesus calls for even more. Continued obedience as he moves on in his life. Stop sinning. So Jesus is sharing with this person who just experienced his grace. The importance of obedient living in response to this amazing grace. We're saved by grace. And then we live by the truth. God's word, using his commands as our guide, a life of grace and truth. Grace doesn't result in more sin. Grace results in God's people being holy and having holy lives. Sometimes you hear reaction against God's commands and laws as as if that's somehow a problem or not as pleasant to talk about as grace. There's a quote from a pastor that I really respect, uh, a Reverend Kevin DeYoung, about that. I'm just going to read it. He says, it sounds really spiritual to say God is interested in a relationship and not in rules. But to talk that way is not biblical. From top to bottom, the Bible is full of commands, he goes on to say. Those commands aren't meant to stifle our relationship with God, but to protect it. To seal it, to define it. And he says, never forget, first God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, then he gave them his law. They were saved, then shown how to live lives of gratitude. God's people were not redeemed by observing the law, just like the people in Jesus' day were not redeemed by living under the law. Got them nowhere. But they were redeemed so that they might then obey the law. The response that we will have to this sovereign grace of God that's so awesomely illustrated for us today is living holy lives. You and I will have a desire to follow God more closely. And that's what I believe Jesus was impressing on the man just healed when he said, now stop sinning. As someone put it, renewed health, we're talking spiritual health here, renewed health ought to send us back into the world with a greater hatred of sin, a more thorough watchfulness over our own ways, and a greater determination to live for God's glory. May that be the case for you and me who have experienced the word of God and who are saved by grace. The man goes out then and he tells the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So you see that as he goes out, the name of Jesus is on his lips. And that's what a life lived for God boils down to. Confessing Jesus with our lips, with our lives, because we've been healed with the healing touch of the Savior. Confessing Jesus with our lips, with our actions. That's what happened in some really powerful and beautiful ways this week at Vacation Bible School. We shared the most important thing of all with our boys and girls and with many from outside this church. We shared Jesus. That's what our high school students are doing on this service project this week. They're sharing Jesus. Dads, that's what our calling is. In our homes boils down to. We lead the way as heads of our home in acknowledging our need for Jesus and then we bring our households to Christ and to his powerful saving word and we lead the way to dads in obedient holy lives responding with thanks to God. So friends, the message from God's word today is that there is healing for our sin-sick souls. And it's through the word of Jesus by the grace of God. And there's a response we're called to. Obedient, holy living and having the name of Jesus on our lips and in our hearts. Where are you today in all of this? In this, this whole picture? Have you been living for 38 years looking at the pool or some ultimately other unaffected thing? Well, then you need to know that true healing comes from Jesus, and Jesus has come. Have you experienced his word and his grace already? Live in obedience. Live out the grace in truth, and may the name of Jesus be in your heart and in your lives as you go. Amen.